Let's pray. God in heaven, what a great reminder for our hearts this morning. Lord, that if we are in Christ Jesus, it is well with our soul. And God, what a joy for us to unite our voices together. Though, God, we're we're spread out, we're not together uh, physically right now. God, I pray that we would be reminded, God, that we are united in heart. And God, as we lift our voices to you, you are so pleased with our praises. And we pray, Lord, that they would bless you as we sing them out to you this morning. May they be... God, an expression of hearts that are filled with so much gratitude and joy. God, you have taken us as sinners and you have transferred us, Lord, out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your beloved Son. And God, we have been ransomed and redeemed from the power and penalty of sin. We have been set free, Lord, to know and to love you. And we pray, Father, that you would fill our hearts even now with such joy at these truths we get to sing and hold so dear in our hearts. Father, now we pray that our hearts would be softened. God, that you would speak mightily to us. And that, God, you would take us and you would transform us and you would make us more like our Savior, Jesus Christ, whom we love. God, do this now, we pray, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, church family, it's so good to be gathered virtually together together again this morning. And uh, I'm so thankful that you've tuned in. And maybe um, you've tuned in again for the first time or you're relatively new. And uh, I just want to extend again a special welcome to you. So thankful that you've found your way to this website and uh, to our church family and we just pray that you would be so blessed and encouraged by what god has to say to you this morning through his word we are uh, almost in the middle here of the book of ruth in fact right in the middle of chapter two so let me encourage you to take your bibles and open them up to ruth chapter two and i've entitled this message satisfaction guaranteed satisfaction guaranteed Satisfaction Guaranteed is a slogan that's used by uh, many companies. It's a slogan that's often used um, in the, the retail industry. It's used often in the service industry. And the idea there is, you know, that the customer's always right, that uh, we want to make sure that you're satisfied with your purchase. And, and I just want to maybe remind you of something that I know you're already familiar with, but there are some people who are simply never satisfied. Believe me, I've worked in all kinds of jobs in retail and in the service industry itself, and I can tell you from firsthand experience, there are some people who are simply never satisfied. They always want more, they always want better, or they always want different. And the truth is, is that you and I can often fall into this same trap. We're filled with discontentment. We're never satisfied with the things that we have. We always want more. We always want better. We always want different. Even as followers of Jesus Christ, it's possible to live a life of being dissatisfied with God and the good gifts that he has given to us. I want to remind you this morning that biblically speaking, satisfaction is not simply about what we have, but about who we have. More importantly, it's about who has us and can satisfy us with every good thing. You see, God alone holds the copyright on the slogan, Satisfaction Guaranteed, because He's the only one who can actually fulfill that statement. He's the only one who can do what He promises to do, to give us true and lasting satisfaction. And He's offering it. The the question is, are you taking Him up on the offer? You know, Ruth has seen and tasted God's amazing grace 
as we saw last week at the beginning of chapter 2. And here in this latter half of chapter 2, she's about to be satisfied by God's grace and satisfied beyond her wildest dreams. And in many ways, this is an invitation for you and me to experience the very same thing that she's experienced. To take God up on the offer that he extends to her and he extends to us to be satisfied in and by him. I want to read to us beginning in verse 14. So let's look at that together and you can follow along as I read. Here's what the word of God says. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. And when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also, pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an epaph of barley, and she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today, and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Remember the backdrop here. Ruth and Naomi had come back to Israel after living for 10 years in Moab. Moab um, was not kind to them. It was there that uh, Naomi lost her husband, Elimelech, and Ruth and Orpah, her sister-in-law, lost their husbands. And now they have returned to Israel, and God is blessing the land once more. Remember also what Naomi said, that she had left Israel to go to Moab full, and she has now returned empty. It's amazing to think that God will often empty us so that he can fill us back up to overflowing. God will often strip away the things in our lives that we have often looked to to find satisfaction so that we can ultimately turn and find true and lasting satisfaction in Him. And that is what we see here unfolding in this story. And so I want to walk through three points with you this morning. First, I want you to see that I am satisfied first by receiving God's abundant provision. Here, we continue to see the character and heart of Boaz as he displays some incredible grace and kindness to Ruth. He grants to her here some exceptional privileges. And I want you to notice how Ruth is provided for here with with incredible abundance at the hand, listen, of Boaz, but ultimately by the hand of God. You'll notice here it's mealtime in verse 14. And Boaz says to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. 
So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate, listen to this, this is so beautiful, until she was satisfied and she had some left over. I mean, there's so much going on here that we need to take note of, so much that we can just simply gloss over and, and miss the significance of. You see, first notice this, that she is seated graciously. She is seated graciously. I want you to see as this unfolds that there are some things that are taking place that are simply unusual in this story. Here he welcomes her um, to the noon meal. He welcomes her to the noon meal. And you say, okay, big deal. He's invited her to sit down and have some lunch with him. This is a very big deal in this culture and in the ancient world. You see, in the ancient world, social realities were expressed in a meal. This is where you find out who's in and who's out. It's kind of like walking into a high school cafeteria. All of a sudden, you instantly see the separation that exists among the student population. You're able to identify different subcultures and subcommunities as you look around. And here is Ruth walking in like the new kid in school, but it gets worse than that. She's a foreigner and she comes from a country that's despised. She's all alone. She has no seat at anyone's table. And here, Boaz invites her to sit down at the table with him and his servants. Here we see and we're reminded that sitting down at a table like this for a meal, it indicates friendship, it indicates community, it indicates some form of identity. And up to this point, Ruth had nothing. She was an outcast. She is Ruth the Moabitess. I wonder if you've picked up on how the author continually reminds us of Ruth's ethnic identity, to continually remind us where she comes from so that we can be as shocked by the grace of God as she must have been experiencing it in the moment. This move by Boaz, here's the most important thing you can glean from this. This move by Boaz demonstrated his acceptance of her. She had identified with the God of Israel and was accepted by the God of Israel. And Boaz is simply embodying God's gracious acceptance of all those who are far off, the foreigners, the outcasts, the sinners. It reminds me of the way that Jesus often operated in the Gospels. And it's interesting, isn't it, that the Pharisees, the religious elite, those who apparently concerned, were most concerned about the law of God, they were constantly shocked by the way Jesus decided to spend his mealtimes. In fact, they were asking his disciples repeatedly throughout the Gospels, why is it that your teacher eats with tax collectors and sinners? They couldn't wrap their minds around what Jesus was doing, the kind of hospitality that he demonstrated, the willingness to embrace the outcast, the sinners, those who, in culturally speaking, were the most vile and wretched. In a similar way, Boaz is demonstrating the heart of God. And it's utterly shocking. This signaled her acceptance in Boaz's family. And it gets even better than that. Notice this, secondly, that he served her generously. It's not just seated graciously at the table. She is served generously. I want you just to ask this question. Who passed her the roasted grain in this story? Did you notice that? He did. Not his servants. Not somebody else. He did. 
It's one thing, isn't it, to be seated at the table. It's another thing to be served by the master of the house. And notice this, how much did he give her? Here's a simple answer, more than enough. More than enough. I mean, he heaps up an unusual amount of grain upon her plate. Portion control goes out the window. Like a kid at a buffet who doesn't realize that he can go back for seconds. The plate is piled high. And remember, he doesn't have to do this. That's what's so staggering. According to the law, he's already done his part. He's allowed her to glean in the fields. She's already gotten what she should have gotten from him according to the law, but he goes above and beyond. It reminds me a little bit of Jesus in John 13. You remember as Jesus sat around the table with his disciples? And he's looking towards the cross, and as he sits around uh, at that meal time with his disciples, after dinner he gets up and he takes off his robe and he wraps a cloth around him, and then he stoops lowly like the lowest of the lowest servants, and he moves around the table and he washes their feet. It was staggering to the disciples that the Lord of the universe would wash their feet and serve them in this way. We need to be reminded that just as Jesus came to serve and not be served, to give his life as a ransom for many, so too this is the call for the Christian. And here Boaz demonstrates that in such a beautiful way. The master of the house, stooping low, passing her food, serving her generously, and it gets even better than that. Notice this next. She is supplied greatly. I mean, again, she's given so much food, she even has some left over, the text tells us here. I mean, she's, she's at the buffet already, but then she's given a doggy bag on top of that. You're like, that's not allowed, right? He's the owner of the restaurant. He can do whatever he wants. It all belongs to him. And he has so chosen to give her far more abundantly than what she needs. I love this. He's not tight-fisted or stingy with his provision. Again, it reminds me of Jesus in the Gospels. Remember when Jesus performs the miracle of feeding the 5,000? And all the food is dispersed and everyone has ate to the full. And then the disciples walk around and gather up all the leftovers and there's baskets full. See, again, a reminder of how God is able to provide and supply abundantly more than we can ask or think. This is the nature of God's provision that's being put on display right here. There's so much, there's even some left over. He goes above and beyond. And by the way, here in the text, it's not just at the mealtime. You'll notice what he goes on to do next in verses 15 through 17. She eats until she was satisfied. She has some left over. And when she rose to glean, Boaz instructs his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. You can kind of see the scene, you know, maybe, maybe Ruth is busy talking or she's got up and excused herself from the table for a moment. And Boaz, he gathers his servants together and says, hey, 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 come here, come here, come here. All right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to make sure, and don't tell her, okay, just make sure that she goes home with way more than she ever thought was possible, okay? Leave some of the sheaves out so she just happens to stumble across them and pick them up. Make sure she's overloaded with provision. It's unbelievable. It's shocking. 
And here we see that she takes home, it says she, she beats out about an EPAP. You say, how much is an EPAP? Listen, she probably brings home about 30 to 50 pounds worth of grain here. I mean, you can think about the load that she has to carry home. It's a staggering amount. It would have kept her and Naomi fed for probably at least two weeks. So what's he doing? Why is he doing this? Why is he loading her up with this kind of provision right now at this moment? Here's why. Boaz is giving her a down payment. It's a down payment of what she can come to expect from him in his fields. It's a sign of the graciousness, of the abundance of provision that he and he alone can give to her. He's showing her what it looks like to be a part of his family, to be accepted by him. And you know, Boaz is simply again embodying God's heart for us. He is the owner, right? God is the owner of all things. He owns the the, the cattle on a thousand hills. And it reminds us not just of God's heart for us, but it reminds us of what it's like to be accepted by God, to be a part of his family, what we can come to expect from him, that this is the God who is not tight-fisted with provisions, who is not stingy in any way, but he is gracious and generous, and he offers to supply us greatly, inviting us constantly to be satisfied by his abundant provision. He's also teaching us through Boaz here, how we ought to reflect God's heart and be an extension of God's grace to others. You see, the invisible God is to be made visible by the way we speak and treat one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, Jesus said, by how you love one another. You see, God's grace and his kindness, we need to be reminded of this often, it's not achieved, it's received. And here, God treated Ruth, excuse me, Boaz treated Ruth as kindly as God has treated Israel throughout their history. It's the same way God treats us. God gives us what we do not deserve, what we could not earn. It's not achieved in any way. It's received in full only because of the grace and kindness of God. And here is where we need to push it even a step further in our lives. You see, what we receive from God, we must learn to offer from God. What we have been given by God, we get to give on behalf of God. You see how that works? God gives us an abundance of provision, not simply so that we can hoard it for ourselves, so that we can delight in our riches, in our wealth, in the provisions that he has granted to us, but so that we can be an extension of his grace and kindness, so that we can turn around and give lavishly to others, showing them the same kind of hospitality and kindness and care so that we can say, God has done this for me and God can do this for you. This is the beauty that we see in this story over and over again. This is what we must be as a church, as children of God. We must be those who, because we have received the kindness, the warmth, and the hospitality, and the provision of the gospel and God Almighty, we must embody that, and and we must be those who put this on full display to all those around us. I hope that during this pandemic, in this season of lockdown and self-isolation, one of the things that God is going to do in our lives, in my life personally, in our church, and in your life, is reinvigorate 
our hearts to show hospitality towards others. My hope is that all of this isolation simply burdens our heart and grows our love to have people in our homes, to meet their needs, to bless them with meals, to show kindness and hospitality in increasing ways. What a gift that would be during the season of lockdown. We come out of this on the other end, more hospitable, more kind, more giving because of the provisions that God has given us in abundance. Secondly, I want you to notice this. I'm satisfied by rejoicing in God's awesome providence. It says in verse 18 that she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and she also brought out and gave her what food she had left after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? You, You have to read into this the shock and surprise. Where did you glean today? Where have you worked? And this is unbelievable. Blessed be the man who took notice of you. I mean, she bursts out with praise and blessing upon the man who has clearly given so abundantly to her. Here is Ruth taking this abundant provision. She heads home. She carries this heavy bag of provision into the home. Naomi sees what she's gleaned, and she's utterly shocked and astounded. She's trying to process what's taking place. I mean, this is so not normal. I mean, imagine for a moment that you're an immigrant and you moved to Canada from another country and you came um, in poverty, you came broke, you just kind of squeaked into the country. You don't know how you're going to get your next meal. And one day you're outside of a Costco and you're rummaging through the dumpster, hoping to find some scraps of food. And as you're digging through the dumpster, barely finding anything to meet your need for that day, the owner of Costco walks up to you and calls you out of the dumpster. And then he takes you and he ushers you past everybody who's standing in the line backing all the way up to Marshall's. And he brings you not just to the front of the line, he walks you in personally into Costco. He gets two carts and he piles them up full of food and he says, okay, good, now go home, take this home. And then you walk in the door and your mother-in-law goes, where did you get all this food? I mean, we don't even have a Costco membership. We're not even a part of that club. And Ruth looks at her mother-in-law and goes, we are now. Like this this is the kind of shock. By the way, it's as if she was touring around Costco, eating all the samples, and even had enough to bring home. Say, hey, I, I, I got stuffed walking through Costco on samples, and they gave me a doggy bag, so here you go. I hope you can be as satisfied as I can. Here, Naomi enjoys the leftovers of the meal and she's utterly blown away by the provision that has clearly been gifted to them. And you know, one of the things that I look at in in just Ruth's bringing home um, this leftovers and sharing it, there's a great principle just simply to extract out of this. It's simply this, when we've been satisfied by God's abundant provision, we want others to share in what we've experienced. I hope that's true in your life, where you are finding that you have been satisfied in God's abundant provision, in the provision of salvation, that the heart within you simply cannot contain the goodness of God and the grace of God, and you simply have to tell people what God has done for you, what God has given to you. I mean, we should do this not just, by the way, with salvation, for sure with salvation. It ought to start there. And so let me just ask, when's the last time you actually shared with somebody your personal testimony? 
I mean, not just the gospel, yes, the gospel, but, but your personal testimony of how God rescued you, how God saw you and took pity upon you and had mercy and compassion towards you, how you were like Ruth, you were lost and, and you didn't know how you were going to get your next meal and God went above and beyond and he sought you and he found you and he cared for you and he loved you and he saved you and rescued you. And how often do we see God constantly providing for us day in and day out? May God give us hearts to see how he is constantly giving to us. And may he give us hearts that long to give him praise and glory for what he's done. I want you to notice as well that Naomi is quick to rejoice. She's quick first to be thankful and uh, pray a blessing upon the man who provided for them. But it gets better than that. She understands that someone, some man has shown them incredible kindness and favor. And as she hears the story, as Ruth begins to unfold the story, there's kind of like this, you know, you know, this unfolding drama here, and we're waiting kind of to hear about who this is. We know the end of the story. We know who it is. But here, remember, Naomi doesn't. So as Ruth unfolds this story, all of a sudden, I think you can see the light bulb go on in Naomi. The man who gave us this provision is Boaz. Now, the rejoicing, notice this, is directed away from Boaz and toward the Lord. Do you see that in verse 20? Naomi said to her daughter, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. You see, what she's doing is she's attributing this kindness not just to him, but to God Almighty. The nature of their conversation shifts away, by the way, in this moment, from the gift, did you notice this, to the giver. This is so vital for us to understand because so often we put all of our hope and joy in the gift itself and we forget that we are supposed to be looking past the gift to the one who has ultimately given it. She sees Boaz as the channel of God's grace and makes this significant connection at this moment. Again, she's connecting the dots. The light bulb goes on. Oh my goodness, he is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. You see, she's beginning to see that God actually is in control of all these things. It's becoming clear as she sees these puzzle pieces begin to fit together. And this is going to become, by the way, this idea of, of redeemer and redemption. It's going to become, or already is, I should note, uh, a major theme or even the central theme of this book. And as we watch this story unfold in the next two chapters, we're going to see this on full display. But right now, these women are realizing that they have met the one who can rescue them. There's hope. In God's awesome providence, consider this. In God's awesome providence, Ruth has stumbled upon Boaz's field, and he just happens to be the one who can change their lives. The term kinsman redeemer, redeemer that's used here, is a term from Israel's family law, and it describes a near relative to whom both law and custom gave certain duties towards their clan. 
And Leviticus chapter 25 really lays this out for us, and we're going to look at this in the coming weeks as well. But I want to show you, give you a taste of what Leviticus 25 verses 48 and 49 say. It says this, Then after he is sold, this is speaking about an individual who has found themselves in a difficult situation financially. Then after he is sold, he may be redeemed. One of his brothers may redeem him, or his uncle, or his cousin, you see the family connection there, may redeem him, or a close relative from his clan may redeem him, or if he grows rich, he may redeem himself. You see, this provision, this kinsman redeemer, was kind of like filing for bankruptcy. It was a way that you could almost be saved or rescued without your entire life being utterly and completely destroyed. If you found yourself in poverty, you could sell yourself in the ancient world. You could sell your pro- you could lease your property, or you could even lease yourself for extended periods of time as a servant, a hired servant in somebody's, um, in somebody else's house or in their business. It was a way that you could continue to survive when you've fallen on hard times. But God had built this idea of grace into the law itself. One of your close relatives, if you had to sell off your property or you sold yourself off, one of your close relatives could come come along and redeem you and your property so that you wouldn't have to lose your inheritance. Again, this was amazing grace built into the law itself. And Naomi is connecting these dots in her life back to the scriptures. God has made provision to take care of us. God in his law has made provision, but now we see God in his providence is bringing that provision about in real time. Right now, we're watching God's hand at work. He's taking care of us. Sometimes we we don't quite understand the difference between God's sovereignty and providence, and those two terms can be used um, almost synonymously, and they're so tightly related, but I want to help you see maybe the distinction in these two things. You see, sovereignty is God's ultimate control, His absolute control, as we saw last week. Providence is sovereignty in action. Sovereignty is, is knowing and seeing and believing that God is truly in ultimate control. Providence is watching and seeing and identifying the ways in which that sovereignty is being worked out in real time. Or, with 2020 vision looking back and seeing God at work. I like what John Piper says. He said, Providence is wise and purposeful sovereignty. You know, that's so important for us to see the sovereignty of God and the providence of God. And I know we talk about this and we have been talking about it in this book, but I just, again, to come back to this is an incredibly important thing in our lives. We're so tempted to believe in in hard times, aren't we, that God has forsaken us. And we need to be reminded that satisfaction doesn't come from a trouble-free life, but in knowing the one who is sovereign over it all and is providentially working all things together for our good in the end. This is true for the believer, that God is working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. This is what God does for his children. When we are patient enough to pay attention and wise enough to notice May we be smart enough to pause and to praise God for how we see his hand at work in our lives. Rejoicing like Naomi in his awesome providence. God's been at work and now she is starting to see it. But here's the crazy part. She doesn't even know the half of it at this point. 
She can't possibly fathom how awesome God's providence truly is in this moment. Right now, she's hoping for her and Ruth's redemption in the physical sense. She doesn't understand that her story and her life is being used by God, and it will be used for centuries and millennia to bring redemption for all of mankind. God's providence is truly an awesome thing to behold. And when we see it, God deserves our highest praise. We ought to rejoice and praise God for how He is sovereignly and providentially working all things out for our good and for His glory. Finally, notice this. I am satisfied by remaining under God's affectionate protection. Verses 21 to 23, And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with this young woman, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young woman of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Notice again the way that Ruth is qualified here. She is Ruth the Moabite. Again, the author just wants us to be reminded how shocking this is. The kindness that's on display. And so he highlights it again. She is an outcast and a foreigner, but she has been accepted into the family of God. The foreigner has been welcomed into the fold with remarkable kindness. And I want you to just to notice this specifically with this affectionate protection. Here, Boaz treats her like he would treat his own daughter. He's warned the young men not to rebuke her, not to assault her. He's protecting her in any way he can. He has made it so clear that that this was not simply a foreigner. This wasn't a stranger. This was a member of his own family. And what you do to his family, you ultimately do to him. So he goes out of his way to make it so clear the protection that he is offering. And I just want you to see, again, this is affectionate because it's a familial kind of protection. It's a, it's a father's heart for a child, that kind of protection. And that's further emphasized by this repeated phrase here, and stay close to my young men. And she stayed close to the young women. The idea is, men and women, stay close to my people, to those who are providing. I will be the one to continue to protect you and continue to provide for your needs. You're part of my clan. This idea of stay close, it's a term of covenant loyalty, a family affection. And he's calling her this. This term indicates this this clinging to, cleaving to him, binding herself to him, embracing all that he was offering to her. But here's why. Remember, the author of the story already knows how it ends. And spoiler alert, so do we, right? We know what's going to happen. We know she's going to end up marrying Boaz. We know he's going to redeem her. And we know that this is going to lead towards Jesus Christ, the ultimate redeemer. here's what's so significant at this point in the story. And here's what we need to glean from this. We know that as we read this story and as we watch it unfold, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. And in effect, that's what Boaz is saying to her. If you stick with me, 
If you continue in my fields, here's what you can be guaranteed. The best is yet to come. This is a foretaste of what she's experiencing. Come stay in my field. Let me continue to provide for you. It's a foretaste of what she can come to expect, of what she can be excited and anticipate to expect in her life. It's kind of like getting to go to a fancy restaurant every once in a while <clears throat> in, our, in our marriage, in our lives. Uh, people have been kind to us. They've treated us to a, a fancy meal, a fancy restaurant. They've given us maybe a gift card to a place like the keg, somewhere that we just normally we wouldn't go um, because it's expensive. And, and it's always, I mean, it's incredible whenever you get to go to a place like that because the food is typically through the roof. But one of the things I love when we've had a chance to go there together, um, you know, you sit down at the table and the first thing the servers do is they bring out to you this nice, warm um, sourdough bread. And the bread is it's steaming hot and that whipped butter just melts in that bread. And if you've been um, on the keto diet like I have, the thought of bread, I mean, there's nothing better. And the best part of all, it's like unlimited. I mean, like another round of sourdough, please. Like, yep, polish that one off. Just keep it coming. Keep it coming. And, and, and then you get the starter salad. You know, if you, if you go all out and you get the keg classic meal, you get that starter salad. And, and I, like, I, I, every time we're there, I'm like, oh man, this is like the best salad I've ever eaten. Like, what is this, romaine? Like, this, is this, did, did this Parmesan get shaved straight from heaven? It's so good. But you see, it's really in many ways no different than many other salads. But I think part of the excitement and the enjoyment of it is because we know what's about to come. I mean, it's a foretaste, right? The main course is coming. I mean, this is good, but the main course, man, man, that filet, medium rare filet mignon is on its way. Bacon wrapped, blue cheese crusted, you know, garlic mashed potatoes, crisp veggies on the side. I mean, man, that's what I get. I mean, I can't wait. The best is yet to come. And for Naomi and Ruth, that's what God is showing them here. And doesn't this accurately describe the life of faith for us right now? Isn't the truth for all followers of Jesus Christ, realizing that there is someone who can do for us what we can never do for ourselves? Provision has been given by someone who can do so much more. We have been given unlimited bread from the Redeemer right here, right now. And the giver of the gifts is inviting us to stay in his fields. Unlimited supply. Keep it coming. Listen, loved ones, once you find yourself in the green pastures under the care of the good shepherd, why would you want to wander off anywhere else? And yet, how easy it is for us to forget how good it is in the fields of God. How easy it is for us to stray and to wander, to think that somehow sin is going to satisfy us in, in, in better ways than God can satisfy us, to think that the provision that comes from anyone else could meet up to the standards set by God himself. It's ludicrous, it's crazy, it's irrational, but such is the nature of sin itself. May God help us to stay in his field, remaining under his unbelievable care and protection. Some of you are not even in God's field. You've never come to God's field. You've never received the provision and the protection that's offered by God. 
And God is inviting you this morning to come to him. Come and find out that I am good. Come, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that my provision is better than anything else that's been offered to you, anything else that you have been tasting and seeking. Come and knock on my door and come on in and enjoy a meal that I can provide that will bless you in abundance. Some of you have wandered off from God's field. And God in his grace is saying, come back. Come back to my field. I have been seeking you. I am the good shepherd. I'll leave the 99 and and come after the one because I love you like that. That's my affectionate protection for you. I will run to you and rescue you. And God is calling you and pulling you back. Will you listen and heed today? Come in repentance. Come in faith. Come in humility. Come and receive what God is offering to you. Safety. Security stability. You see, we are satisfied when we remain under God's affectionate protection. And here, the mood of this book begins to shift. You see, there is all of a sudden where there's been so much darkness and despair, and and now we're seeing there's so much light and hope and joy. Why? Because though Ruth's redemption was not complete, listen to this, loved ones, it had begun because she had met the Redeemer. And so the concluding thought is this, it is good that we remain in this field, enjoying what he has already provided in anticipation of what's to come. Doesn't this point us to the gospel of Jesus Christ, who will come through Ruth's lineage and become the ultimate redeemer for humanity, the the true and better Boaz, who has done for us far more than Boaz could ever do for Ruth, For Jesus seated us at his table, even though we didn't deserve it. Even when we were foreigners, when we were outsiders, when we were outcasts, when we were enemies because of our sin. When we deserve judgment and wrath as the penalty for our sin, he takes us instead and he seats us graciously at his table. Not only that, but he served us generously giving his life for ours, paying for our sins at the cost of his own life. And he supplies for us greatly with forgiveness and freedom and true joy and eternal satisfaction in him. In Jewish custom, the book of Ruth was read during the Feast of Weeks. That was the the Jewish festival that celebrated the harvest time. They would celebrate at that time of the year God's gracious provision towards them. And so what they would do as a community, they would read the book of Ruth, and they would be reminded of how God graciously provides in the harvest season, how God is the giver of all good gifts. Catch this. When we come to the New Testament, we see the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, He pulls his disciples aside and he says to them, now I want you to wait here because I have one final gift to give you. Jesus ascends into heaven and during, listen to this, during the festival of the harvest, during the season where they were reading the book of Ruth, God gives to them another gift. He gives to them the gift of the Holy Spirit and God brings in another harvest. Thousands of men and women redeemed and brought into God's family. And I just want to remind you that God gives his spirit to us as a guarantee of his abundant provision. 
as a constant reminder of how awesome His providence is in our lives, how He is working all things together for our good, how He has worked all things together to redeem us and for our full and final redemption. And He gives us the Spirit of God as a declaration of God's affectionate protection over us, that if we are one of His children, we will never be cast away so that his children might be satisfied in him and by him both now and for all eternity. Loved ones, what we enjoy now is so good, but the best is yet to come. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for your grace. Thank you, God, for satisfaction that comes ultimately in and by you. God, thank you that you have accepted us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you that you forgive us. Thank you that you continue to provide in abundance every good gift that we need. And thank you most of all, Lord, that as we look at our lives here and now and enjoy what you have given to us in our salvation and everything that's a part of that, that, Father, we look to the future and we can say with confidence and with joy, the best is yet to come. We give you praise and we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.